Let's now go into our passage for this morning. Pastor David will be re, uh, preaching for us uh, from Isaiah chapter 40, entitled, The King Who Shepherds. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Amen. Good morning, Renewal. My name is David Kim. I'm one of the pastors at Renewal Mainline. Um, and it's my pleasure and honor to preach to you this morning. Let me open us up in prayer. Father in heaven, your mercies are new every morning. And this morning is no exception. You pour out your love upon us as you allow us to worship you and hear your word. Lord, would you allow our hearts to be ready to know you more? Let us have ears to hear, eyes to see, that we get to recognize who our true king is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of my all-time favorite uh, masterpiece, I would call it, is the series on Harry Potter. Um, I, I generally love fantasy. Uh, I love, I think, basically everything about it. Uh, the character developments, the world settings, um, the magical creatures, and really everything about it, the, the fights that that's there, and the growth that really you get to experience together. But the biggest reason why Harry Potter is so dear to my heart, I think it's because I feel like I grew up with it. Um, I was in Korea when I first um, encountered it in middle school years, and um, I started reading it, and I got immediately hooked onto it. And by then, only fourth one, was the latest book out there. So every time the next series came out, um, I bought them instantly, read them as soon as possible. It's really journeying with this character, <laughs> with Harry Potter. Now, one of the coolest characters, I believe, uh, that there is in that story is Professor Dumbledore. Uh, you might argue, uh, you might have your own uh, characters, but he is arguably the most powerful wizard of that world. Um, and he is actually strong, not, in, not only in his magical strength and his knowledge, but he's also very highly uh, in his prestigious status where he is the highest rank. He is the head of the, the school, the magical school. Now, however, what really strikes me uh, is not just how powerful he is, but what kind of relationship he has with Harry. Uh, one of the main aspects of this book is following the journey of Harry's adventure where he's trying to figure out um, what to do. Uh, he's trying to figure out how to uh, be safe, actually, from all kinds of dangers that's constantly coming at him. Actually, the danger of the whole world. He's trying to find the right guidances, and he, he often feels very lost. And every time that he's actually in the deepest part of this loss and unprotected, this unsafe environment, you actually get to encounter Dumbledore. And he actually approaches Harry personally. This super powerful, um, arguably the strongest wizard in this story, approaches Harry, but very relationally. He is a friend to Harry. He knows Harry. 
He actually knows about Harry even more than how much Harry knows about himself. He is also gentle with him. He cares for him. So whenever you encounter his help, this emotion rises in the reader. This emotion is one of comfort. Every time I see, read a Dumbledore, I feel like, ah, Dumbledore's here. We're good now. Harry's okay now. I feel at peace. I believe that's a glimpse of this image that we get to encounter in Isaiah 40, in today's passage. This king, but not just only a powerful, almighty king, but a personable king. A king that is both powerful and personable. And we get to see this image of a shepherd king. We're continuing our teaching series for Advent in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus, and he spoke often about the judgment of the world, of the Israelites, of the corruption, of the sins. But also, he spoke about this king, this king who will come and rule, not despising us, who would not turn his back on us, but who would enter into the middle of the mess to do something about it. This king who would save his people, save the nation, save the world. And Isaiah also spoke of this king, of in what image he will reign, what kind of peaceful reign that he will bring. That's what we see today. He will be a shepherd king. That's what's going to look like. In verse 11, we see how he is like a shepherd. This imagery successfully captures those two categories that are very important in our lives, king who protects and king who guides. We're going to see that in three points this morning. First, the need of this shepherd, why we need this king. Second, the image of this shepherd, what he looks like. And third, the fulfillment of the shepherd, how this shepherdhood is fulfilled. So let's go through those things. First, the need. Why do we need him? Why do we need such a king? Because this world that we live in is an unsafe world, um, a world that we quite often feel lost. We live in a world where we constantly try then to find this means of protection, means of guidance. In fact, every day it's filled with that journey to find that thing that comforts us in terms of protection and direction. And very unfortunately, just too often, if not all the time, we fail. Those things that we think we are successful in finding fail. Why? Because of the corruption. Because of the corruption of the world by sin. When sin entered the world, it corrupted the whole thing. It wasn't the case when the world was created, as you read in Genesis. It was filled with peace, harmony, a perfection. God said it was good. Everything was good. But when sin entered the world, it corrupted everything. It disrupted the peace that was supposed to be. And because of sin, humanity lost our purpose of creation, the purpose of glorifying the Lord and enjoying Him forever. This was the very same thing that this audience of Isaiah is going through in their lives when they are hearing this message from Isaiah. The Israelites knew just too well what it felt like to be unprotected and feel lost in life. They were constantly under threat of the invasion of surrounding nations. And the world they were living in was a world that felt quite unsafe. Isaiah's main theme here 
the theme of advice to that audience is, behold, look. He's telling Israelites, look. Look at what? Look to God. In verse 26, he says, look up. Look up. Look at the sky and look at the creator of those stars. Look at that true king of yours. But instead, Israel constantly looks around. They keep looking around at their surrounding nations and looking at all these other nations trying to depend on something that is just not God, depend on human kings, other means of protection and guidance. They keep seeing this failures, and yet they want it. Remember how he, how Israelites actually, very ironically, asks the one true God, the one true king, and they ask God, give us a king also. How sad is that scene? And God gives them that to let them understand that that doesn't work out. And quite often, we feel very similarly. We could relate to this kings after kings failing to protect us, failing to protect Israel and successfully guiding them. And they do historically make a pretty bad decision to do something like that, where instead of trusting in God's sovereignty and his guidance and protection, they actually make a pact with other nations. And ultimately, it fails. And Israel fails. So the question was this. The question to Israelites was a one of trust. Who or what will you trust? Will you trust for salvation human strategy of self-rescue, or will you trust in the prophetic promises of divine grace? And Isaiah describes this emotional status of Israelites right here when he says in verse 11, God will gently lead those that are with young. That's what it feels like to have those that are with young, meaning those people who is responsible for infants parents of young babies. That's what it feels like for where Israelites were. That's what we get to relate. Um, I got to relate that. I remember my first time that I held my baby, uh, my firstborn, Gene. Um, when you imagine, go through that and through, through your imagination, I was imagining uh, this fir- first moment of receiving the baby, and I've seen that in TVs where you know everything needs to be in slow motion and Somehow there's that beautiful music going and I'm holding this baby crying, you know, naively with eyes closed and I'm crying, I'm touched. But none of that happened. Uh, At least I was expecting her to have her eyes closed and just cry and, you know, have that touched feeling. But she only cried for like, what, two seconds? And then before I get all teary, um, she opened her eyes. And then she started not crying, but looking around with her eyeballs so um, it felt like she was actually wondering where she was. <laughs> so before I got all teary and touched up, I actually got scared. I literally asked the doctors, uh, is this okay? <laughs> uh, they said it's fine. But that's what I actually realized that moment. I was terrified, not of the baby. I was terrified of this human person, this five-pound human being in my arms, clueless of the world, and I'm supposed to be the protector and the guidance of her life, I felt lost. 
I felt unprotected, unsafe. What if I'm not good enough? What if I make mistakes? What if I can't protect her and all these things? But see, you don't need to hold your own baby to feel this way, right? You actually could quite too often, too easily feel this emotion where you are utterly just desperate in this feeling of protection and guidance, yet failing to find one. That just doesn't work. Isn't it sad to relate to that? What was it? What was the last time? When was the last time you experienced that? Was it COVID-19 when it hit the whole nation, whole world, when we realized that uh, it wasn't going to be the same? Or was it actually much before that? Uh, do you have a memory of a horrible accident or, a, or an illness that you suffered? Or was it just desperate feeling of, I don't know where I am? And I don't know where to go. Unfortunately, just too often, we relate to those emotions, don't we? And in those moments, how do we respond? Do you look up and see the true, one true king, God, the sole protector and guidance of our lives? Or just like Israelites, just like me, do you look around and see what you could grab and hold on to as the means of salvation, protection, and guidance, and just continue to fail. Does that happen? To this very difficult reality, this is Isaiah's direction. Look up, behold your king. And in this chapter today, this king who is a shepherd. Look to your shepherd. You need one is the point. That was the first point. So then what does he look like? Let's go into the second point, the image of the shepherd. This imagery of a shepherd is not an unfamiliar picture to us, especially if you grew up in a, a Christian environment. God is our shepherd. Lord is my shepherd. But what makes this Isaiah's passage unique in its imagery of this shepherdhood? We see this thing where he is both, both powerful and and personable. The shepherd king in the Isaiah will provide us a perfect protection, perfect guidance because he is almighty, he is powerful, and because he is personal. For shepherd is strong, he is strong. Take a look at today's passage, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. This king that Isaiah is introducing to us is this very same person who created the whole world. He is this powerful ruler of the world, actively engaged in his reign of everything in life. And if you think about uh, how we as humanity think, we think we got really far in our uh, technological developments or in knowledge, just how much we know. Look at how, much, how far we've got. Um, the next news on the next planet that we found, or, hey, it wasn't a planet, <laughs> or, hey, it actually was back again, or this biggest stars that we found, um, these latest news on science and findings and all these things, achievements of humanity. And yet, literally thousands of years ago, Isaiah gives us a wake-up call in response to that. He says, look up, 
Look at the stars. Do you think you know a lot? God created everything here. And he knows everyone by name. He knows all those stars. Let that sit for a moment of how just far beyond God is, beyond even our attempt of imagining how amazing in his knowledge, his power, and goodness. This is the God of the universe that Isaiah turns our eyes to, an almighty God. And then this is what he says. This is what um, Isaiah says. This most powerful person in the universe, he knows you. He cares for you personally. In verse 10, when Isaiah said this arm of God that is powerful, almighty, ruling arm, in verse 11, we see the same arms are used to guard and guide his lambs. He will carry the lambs in his chest. Look at how verse 11 describes this manner of such guidance. He will gently lead those, gently. This powerful king will be gentle with you. This almighty God has a personal agenda to love you and care for you. And this is the crazy part. He, he who, who knows the stars by name knows who we are by name, what we need, what we want, who we are, what we're good at, what we're toward. When we see this figure that is both powerful and personable, that provides this sense, a unique sense of emotion, which is peace, a comfort. Isaiah tells us to look at this person, look at this king. So then, how does that look like in our lives? How does that shepherdhood, the king shepherd, how does that fulfill in our own lives? That's the third point, the fulfillment, that Jesus is the good shepherd. In John 10, 14, Jesus himself, with his very own words, affirm, I am the good shepherd. Israel has been waiting for this king to come, desperately. And Jesus fulfills that title. He says, now I'm here. He is here. And where is that fulfilled? Do you guys know? It's actually fulfilled, ultimately, on the cross. Hebrews 13, 20 tells us, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. In order to bring us this protection and guidance we need. Jesus himself is brought to be unprotected and lost through his life and through his death and through his resurrection and ascension. He's enthroned above all else and that is the very history of our salvation, how he becomes our king, our shepherd king that achieves this ultimate protection from sin and death, and this ultimate guidance to life everlasting. This happens on the cross. Then how is this fulfilled promise experienced in our day-to-day lives? And that's the hard part that I usually struggle, or I had struggled for the longest time in my life, um, to make that real today, instead of just leaving it there and 
the, the fact of the gospel, the fact of God, the fact of the good news, but not being able to relate to it. That's what we're trying to do here. How does that manifest in your own life? Let me give you three means of God's shepherding. Jesus shepherds us by three means I will actually introduce. Three means, one, through building a personal relationship with us. Second, he builds us, build, uh, he shepherds us through other human representatives. And third way he shepherds us is through his sovereign provision. So let's go through them briefly. One, he shepherds us through building of a f- personal relationship with us. Think about how, to, how a relationship starts with a person. Uh, first, you have to have two people. Two people, you meet each other. And then uh, when we say meet, we mean you talk to them. And in those encounters of interactions that you get to know one another, you get to find out who that person is, what they like, what they don't like, where they're from. And then in that, you commit to that recurrence of that interaction as we call a relationship, a personal relationship. Jesus does the very same thing with us. But the unique part here is that this is far superior than literally any kind of relationship that you could find in the world. Any kind of personal relationship that you will meet in life, this is superior. Why? Because he does the same thing, but better. Why? Because he meets us because he tells us who he is. He constantly talks to us. He hears us. He knows us. And he tells us about what he will do, what he did, what he does right now. It's better. You might say, I haven't met Jesus in person, um, but that actually works on the assumption, only based on this assumption that Jesus is now not here. He died 2,000 years ago. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't stay dead, if you remember. He rose again, and he lives when he ascended into heaven. Now is eternally seated at the right hand of the Father. We didn't lose the person of Christ. Actually, the relationship just got eternally better because he sent us the Holy Spirit. Now from that point on, the main means of our communication with this person of God became his own spirit. The words are physically present in front of us, the scripture. You get to physically experience it. And when you hear the word and when you comprehend it, it is the very same person, the Holy Spirit, who's dwelling in you that allows you to understand that very meaning, to accept the meaning, and to obey Jesus is speaking to us today. And allow me to just go one step further in just how amazing this interactive conversation with Jesus is. This very conversation happens beyond just what we would see as our behavioral activity of reading of the word or that encounter of that reading. The word actually dwells in us. It lives in us. That's Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, The word must and shall dwell inside of you. It lingers. The Holy Spirit that dwells in you speaks to you through those very own words. At every instance that lets you respond 
in teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. See, all those things are how Jesus continues that conversation. Through this means of a personal, interactive conversations, God protects us and God guides us. He protects us from the danger of sin and he guides us to life. So now you see when the world calls it uh, conscience, the world calls it the conscience who's speaking to you, it's actually the Holy Spirit when you hear that voice, when you are faced with temptations, that voice that literally says, don't do it. I don't like this, and you don't like it. Or when you hear, feed her, protect him, tell them about me, Tell her that I love her. That's God. Of course, not every thought, not every thought that pops up in our head is the voice of God. And that's the very reason why we need to constantly check, confirm, and reaffirm that those words are from God. And this is very reason why Jesus doesn't form a relationship with you exclusively. He calls us into his body, body of believers. Jesus shepherds us through, the second means, his human representatives. Jesus gives shepherds in our lives. Think about it. Is there anyone who provides you protection or guidance? Are there people that are committed to give that to you? Were they your parents? Were they your siblings? Um, Were they your mentors, elders, pastors, your fellow church members, who do you have in your life that provides you protection and guidance that resembles Jesus himself? See, Jesus intentionally planted those people in our lives, and through them, he himself shepherds us. And this is the amazing part where he not only provides those people in our lives, he actually calls us to be that very own shepherd to other people. He calls you to be the shepherd. He calls you to be a friend, a mentor, a parent, a sibling, an elder, pastor, fellow church member, a ministry partner. He calls all of us to be the hands and feet of Jesus so that when other people meet us, they meet Jesus. They experience Jesus. And lastly, the means of Jesus shepherding us is through his sovereign provision. This person who was and is and is to come is actively engaged in the sovereign governing of our world and he knows every one of us by name and he knows what's best for us. And according to his wonderful counsel of his will, he gives us the best to grow into his image and to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And in that, through that sovereign provision, he protects us. He very physically and beyond that, he protects us. Everyone, literally everyone that is listening to this is a living proof of such care, of such protection. There could be anything. There could have been countless possibilities that might have not allowed any one of us to be here. Uh, The house might not have stayed together or the very breakfast might have choked you There are infinite ways to not have been able to be alive at this moment, yet we're here. And instead of falling into this imagination that leads to infinite 
uh, anxiety. That's not my desire here. We could instead recognize this very hand of God that is active in our lives. He is the one protecting us. He's the one who has been protecting us all through this point. He's the one that has done that, and we must thank him. What about those things that happen through, we say, our common sense? Well, the house didn't catch on fire because I didn't leave fire on the stove, or we were careful. I didn't get into a car accident because I was awake, and I was not texting and driving. So I hope we understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And that so-called, we, we call it common sense or reason, that is included in such great gift from God. It isn't beyond his provision. On the contrary, the nature, the very nature of this world, how things work, and how much we are allowed to understand how they work, and how much we can do and we cannot do, all those things are from God. God provides that to us. There's just nothing that is standing on its own that we can accredit ourselves and not God. Our circumstances were given by God. Our background, our temperaments, our abilities, everything is provided according to the wise counsel of God's will. And he also provides us this active guidance through those things. So those were um, how Jesus' shepherding manifests in our very own lives. He builds a relationship with us. And he uh, calls other people to be shepherds in our lives and calls us to be shepherds in his and others' lives. And he provides sovereign provision. So then lastly, how can we respond? How do we respond to his shepherding? Uh, let me just go through several things first. Can we just recognize this? Uh, can we just recognize that this shepherd king in front of us is a real person? I say that with more of a personal approach to it because I personally had the hardest time recognizing this, especially given that I grew up forever uh, from this church setting. Because at the end of the day, I ended up saying, I didn't say it out loud, but I realized now, that that's what I've been telling myself, that it can't be a real person because I haven't met him in person. I haven't seen his face. You see how it was desperately based on my premise that if I don't fully understand how things work, it must not be real. It hurts me to think just how much I missed out on this relationship that Jesus has been providing. I missed out on this person who was there all along, tried to deny him too long, this real person who was literally far beyond anyone you can meet in life. This person that is perfect, most powerful, most loving, committed to me faithfully, took me too long to recognize him. My hope is that you recognize the person of Jesus Christ today. And second, let's Let's spend time recognizing that very love. Can we spend some time meditating on just how he loves you through his protection and guidance? What does he do? What did he do? What will he do? And in response, can we praise him? Isn't that what we do in a relationship, any kind of relationship? If we are really strongly committed to that relationship and we enjoy something, we really love about something about it, we praise, we raise 
we rise in praise. We, we express our love for that. We express our gratitude towards that. We recommit our love for him. Let's praise Jesus. And then let's make this commitment to continue to pursue this relationship. Let's take active measures. We can always say, yes, I will love you more, right? This is really both in, in our relationship with God, relationship with other people. I will love you more. And then when we end our conversation right there, when we end our thought process right there and then, then um, it ends actually. And without really thinking about the practical applications to that commitment today, that it actually ends up not really committing. So can we actually spend time hearing his voice? Can we commit to listening to him? And in prayer and reading of scripture, can we spend more time understanding God? And let's take actions. Let's do it. Let's obey his words. All these things that are mentioned, uh, let's, not, let's remember to not do this alone. Uh, let's do this with others. When our church starts to commit to a two or three people group to meet and start calling it the pods, to talk, talk to each other, to pray for one another, to laugh and cry, cry together, um, why don't we dedicate that? Dedicate our hearts to that, uh, to further our relationship with not only the human beings around us, but with our very shepherd king. And here's my um, final warning for what we're um, thinking about how we could respond. Um, can we remember that we might, we might not like some of the things that God's doing? Can we remember that we might not like it when we get to know in what ways God is protecting us and guiding us? Uh, God might say no, maybe just too often, just a little more than uh, how much he, he would say to us. Um, he might say, don't go there. And, and we might not like it. Maybe he'll give us a shot, uh, actually a flu shot, saying that, hey, this might hurt a lot, um, and we might hate it. But he'll do it gently. That's Isaiah's word today. He'll do it gently. He'll also gently reveal the wrong desires in our hearts that lead us into grumbling. If we recognize how he is the good shepherd, we'll be okay. So let me conclude this way. Um, when we truly see Jesus for who he really is, the good shepherd, and when that sinks in, hopefully, and more prayerfully, that will comfort you. Because what? He provides all the protection and guidance we need to glorify Him. So I invite all of us to celebrate this Advent season with this image of a shepherd king who has come into our lives. Let us meet Him. Let us know just how much He loves us. Let us find rest in His arms. Let's be those shepherds just as he was shepherds to us. Let's be those shepherds to others. Let's pray. Let's spend a moment uh, just to reflect on Isaiah's image of our Lord, King Jesus, as a shepherd, how he protects us, how he guides us, how he personally approaches us, 
and how he pours out his life to care for us. Let's meditate on that. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Shepherd King we have. That is our greatest present of this season of Advent. That is the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. We thank you for your protection and guidance through your perfect and personal love. Lord, we ask that your word would richly dwell in our hearts and you would build a strong relationship with us, a personal one where we constantly depend on you, find guidance from you, find rest in you, and delight in you. In your name we pray. Amen.